Welcome to Trinity Radio. It's me, Braxton Hunter, as it says on the screen. And to my right, all the way at the other right, is Jonathan Pritchett. The far right, right? The far right. <laughs> Jonathan Pritchett. What does that make me? Yeah. Um, okay, leftist. Actually, no. You're on the far left. I'm on the oh, far right. Okay. It's backwards. Well, yeah. But so, right in the middle as a moderate. I'm stage left. Because he's moderate in everything. That's what he's known for. And that is Warren McGrew, a.k.a. Idol Killer. Um, don't get Hello. mad at us, YouTube. He's killing idols, not human beings. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> go ahead and welcome to the show, Warren McGrew. Oh, thanks for having me. Yeah, I, I, I uh, tackle sacred cows for the cause of Christ, but uh, no real cows were, were harmed in the, uh, the criticism, I hope. <laughs> I have a question about the Idol Killer thing. Just right off the bat, I'm going to give you some... Uh, I'm going to ruffle your feathers, I guess, because I'm going to, I want to compare you to Steve Lawson. I know I know you're a big fan. All right. Well, it's been fun. Thanks for having me on the show. Appreciate <laughs> you guys. So, Idol Killer, explain the background of that and if, what it, I think it is. When you say Idol Killer, and you, you have in mind certain things within the theological space that you think – doctrinal wise that you think are idols correct yeah so the name the name came about because i i had spent roughly 30 approximately 30 years in calvinism i was um every flavor of calvinism during that time but i was raised in a um a hyper calvinistic home or, or high calvinistic home and so i still had a lot of that strong strong um calvinist or, or augustinian uh, tradition that I was reading into scripture and uh, it nearly, nearly shipwrecked my faith. And um, as I started rediscovering scripture without that presuppositional commitment, I started to just discover how beautiful God was and how simple uh, scripture was without, you know, all of the different categories and, and different wills and, and trying to, to get into that theological space. And um, I became concerned that, you know, well, life is short. We don't know how much time we have. And what if, uh, what if I pass away? Like, what are my kids going to be taught when they get older? So I started doing some videos on my personal uh, channel in between like vacation videos of my family and people started watching that. And I thought, well, that's not appropriate. I don't want people discussing theology in between like videos of me and my kids at the, the, the river. So uh, I went and I started a different YouTube channel and I was like, well, what can I call it? Well, it was all about tearing down things that I had idolized. So it was about my own personal, I don't want to say deconstruction. That is, that's a disgusting word in my book, but my own personal rediscovery of just simple Christian truth. And, um, and so it was about destroying those things that I had in my own estimation, uh, elevated above God and above the, the text of scripture and above just so the truth. These are, minute, might yeah. you say then that such a thing could be in your life, any particular thing that would be a sin, but also could be. Uh, a doctrinal position that you only adhered to because you were raised with it or wanted it to be true or something like that. Is that, would both of those count as idols yeah, under I that think, title? I think so. Yeah. I mean, it, yeah. it could be, a, it could be a sin. It could be a false belief. It could be perhaps uh, even a, a true belief that I've come to uh, place in an improper or unhealthy uh, role in, in, in life, you know? So, so you're not necessarily saying these doctrines that you consider to be idols that you have killed in your own life are necessarily idols for other people. I think they can be, but not necessarily. Okay. Well, yeah. dang it, because I wanted to compare you to Steve Lawson. Now it seems like I can't because Steve Lawson also uses the word, you know, he always likes to accuse people of idolatry because, you know, like free will is a pagan goddess that the church worships and all of that. And mm -hmm. So he says, so I thought maybe that there was something like that, but... Uh, why are you so nice? Uh, but I'm a, I'm in addition a, I'm to being, a, I'm yeah, a jerk. In addition to being nice, I got to come on here and, and confess. Uh, you know, I'm I'm not a nice guy. Sometimes, sometimes I I only tip eighteen percent instead of twenty. Oh um, man, yeah. Well, you're going to hell. Yeah. Well, that, that, <laughs> yeah, exactly. What I want to ask you about though is, you know, we had, we had talked about what we we're going to talk about, and uh, what what we kind of came up with was what's wrong with Warren McGrew. Uh, turns out this is not going to be, a, you know, that kind of show. I'm sure it would, we could fill an hour with everything wrong. Oh, no, it'd be a 12-part series. 
Yeah. Yeah. But but what? Why aren't you going to burn in hell forever? That's what we. That's what people want to know. Um, well, and don't want to take it lightly either, because even though we are kind of joking about this, because we all know that in um, the spaces where theology geeks tend to congregate online, we we see a lot of the heresy. Uh, we see heresy thrown around, and we see a lot of the heresy hunter type people. And I've been uh, called a heretic in a formal debate. All, you have, in fact, I almost got a sound clip because I can do these little sound clips. You know, yeah. like here's applause. Yeah. yeah, and I wanted to get one with Zakariotis going, wow, but right. I thought that would be insulting, so I didn't do it. Actually, I'll probably still do it. But yeah, anyway, um, the, uh, the the bottom line is you see that word thrown around a lot, and it becomes a joke to us because it, in some cases, is obviously not true to most Christ- what most Christians would think about this that are seriously, you know, serious mm-hmm. thinkers, understand these issues, and there are things that we would not consider, and and maybe certain people in our church would, or people you know that we know. But but so we joke about it sometimes because it's almost like a conversation stopper or a, uh, an indication that someone is giving up on the conversation. They have nothing else to say. Uh, but it it could be a serious charge, and I mean, of course. And so we should talk a little bit about what constitutes a heresy, because let me just give my my taste of this real quick. So I'm thinking, guys, that. On the one hand, you know what we what, we want to go back to the early church and look at what was in the early creeds and councils, what was considered heresy there, and that becomes very important to us. But if you don't go with something like that, then what ends up usually happening is um, within my faith tradition or in my denominational background or in Catholicism or in Reformed theology, X is considered a heresy. Well, that's what are we exactly saying there? Because it seems to me like a lot of people use heresy just to mean uh, a doctrine that really makes me uncomfortable. Right. And frankly, Warren, I'll come right out and say it. I'm not an open theist. I know we have open theists who listen to the show, and uh, I love them, and I kind of see how they get there. Uh, but at the same time, I'm not, and it's at least foreign enough uh, to, to you know the sort of um, understanding of God's omniscience that I've had throughout my life that it strikes me as... Uh, weird and uh could even strike me as uh un uh phew, how would i say this one a, a position that makes me pause and gives me anxiety initially mm-hmm. simply because we are saying something central about the nature of god and so perhaps if i was being less articulate i might be the type of person that would say something like well that strikes me as heresy but it doesn't strike me as heresy it strikes me as something i'm not about an issue that's very important but the bottom line is i still want to know what the word heresy means if it doesn't mean well we're looking at what obviously scripture teaches in the early church holds uh, that's been accepted kind of by mere christians for a long time so uh, why don't you guys both and and i'll try to join in too talk a little bit about what do we what should we mean and what do we mean when we say heresy? Well, we'll let Warren answer first. What what do you consider to be heresy? And I want you to go first because we get accused of never letting guests speak. So Yeah, so so actually before we do that, I, I just want to say if if you and I were actually able to sit down, the three of us were just able to sit down, the cameras weren't on, and we're playing a board game and eating pizza, and we're talking about what I think about God's omniscience versus what you you believe we would walk away going, oh, wow, we're actually almost identical. There's just a few okay. things that are that are to be tweaked because we both believe God is omniscient, that he knows all the facts, uh, that he's not ignorant, that he's not lacking information. Um, just, it's, just, it's really a, a difference uh, based on uh, our theory of, of time and God's, God's freedom. So um, would, it come down to, would it come down to this, Warren, just to get, uh, for my purposes, would it come down to something like, well, the future, God knows everything. It's just that the future uh, actions of free agents aren't things. So it's not a thing God doesn't know, but God knows everything that, that can that can be known in the universe right now and throughout history. Would it be something like that? No, no, not even not even that, because I, okay. I, I, I can affirm as an adherent of dynamic omniscience that God knows what free creatures will do. Um, I mean, I think when you see David imploring him at, at Kila about what Saul will do and God says Saul will come down. He will overtake the city. He will be victorious. They will hand you over. He will destroy you. Um, that's where like the more the I almost said Mormons. <laughs> the, 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 Tim Stratton's going to kill me. Uh, the Molinists and I um, 
yeah, agree. Will. Like we, we, we say God has counterfactual knowledge and, but, but I, yeah. I have, I was going to say, that's a favorite Molinist proof text. It is. And it's a favorite proof text for adherence to dynamic omniscience. And, 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 and I've even had like Ryan Mullins on, and he said, everybody should be affirming dynamic omniscience, Warren, whether you're a Molinist or a Calvinist, like, so what gives, what's the difference then you think that's meaningful between my position or is there not a meaningful difference? There, there is, uh, it begins the difference. The difference occurs with God's, uh, initial decision to create this universe. So did things become so eternally set that um, future choices for him are are now closed off, that he knows exactly how things are going to go? Because all of historic Christianity begins with an affirmation of the freedom of God. Even in logical moments, we would say there was a, a logical moment in God's, um, I always get these confused, but free or natural knowledge natural where he had knowledge yet to determine... Yet the to order would be natural knowledge and then free knowledge and Calvinism. Uh, Molinism would have the natural knowledge, middle knowledge, and then free knowledge mm -hmm. in the logical order. But, but we, you're, we you're pointing out that even if God knows what he will do, or, well, maybe you're not saying that. You're saying despite God's knowledge, whatever that, whatever that contains, which would include certainly many of his own actions, if not all of his own actions, even on your view, then this would still, this, there would still be a situation where God is still free. And I would just chalk that up to free in the source sense that got nothing external to God is determining God's actions anyway. But you mean it uh, in a little like more of a principle of alternative possibilities, like he could do more than like he. What are you saying about God's knowledge there? So so when when uh, when the universe exists, when, when God existed alone, right, it was just mm -hmm. just God. Uh, there was at the very least a logical moment, if not a temporal one, depending on your theory of time. Uh, there was a logical moment where God had yet to determine what kind of world he's going to make. And he used reason and rationality and wisdom, and he freely determined what world to create. And then if you're an adherent of logical moments, you say there was a simultaneous logical moment where he also knew that. I would push back and say that those are, are contradictory. It's not like the alphabet because those are uh, contradictory claims. So I would hold more of like a uh, divine temporality or hyper time as the, the philosophers call it. Okay. Um, okay. But, but when God created, I'm not there, but I'll follow you there. Yeah, sure. So when God, when God created, um, you know, the Calvinists would say he de decreed and determined everything that would come to pass. And it's that divine effectual decree that grounds his knowledge of future choices because he's the one that, that, that decreed it. Uh, the, the Molinist, if I understand them correctly, would uh, say that God, based on um, his own free, natural, and middle knowledge, knew what free creatures would do in any sort of circumstances and determined to actualize this world and all things will unfold in a libertarian free world, but exactly as God knows, because this is the world he determined to, to actualize. So we all kind of begin with an affirmation of divine cognition and divine freedom, but then how we respond to the creative act, do we close off the created realm and all future contingents and all of that and make it eternally settled so that God can't do other than he initially decreed at creation? Or did God create a free universe where uh, creatures can uh, interact where the future, although a realm of potentiality that may obtain, it's not necessary that it obtained that, that God could warn David and David flee so that what Saul will do doesn't occur. So God still knows what the future realm is, but it's it's not it doesn't it's not exhaustively fixed, if that makes sense. Uh, well, so, this is what I was going to probe precisely because, and I know we're not debating this or anything. I'm just asking you questions, but those this might isn't a feel debate. Like I thought this was my opening statement. Yeah. So, <laughs> so, so here's so here's a, a thing. So he does know uh, what what f the future actions of free creatures, like the Molinists. Or at least partly like the Molinist thinks, just not as exhaustively as the Molinist. Is it something like because here's here's the Braxton? obviously where this is not Braxton. what we still need a definition of heresy. Well, we're going to get there, okay. but this is we'll interesting. Not, the, this I, is the longest I'm, way around. Braxton's allowing me to define. Braxton's allowing me to define an example. Yeah, because there are people in the audience that are very interested in this, and I'm personally interested. And so when I am, I'm going to take advantage of that. So here here's the issue. So you God know you're saying all right. God, we have dynamic omniscience which is a form of open theism and we have the exhaustive molinistic view or the 
uh, or the kind of Arminian uh, sort of uh, look down the corridors of time, right? <laughs> no, uh, but, the, but the bottom line about this is either way, if God knows what uh, future agents will are able to do on your view, then what, how is it that he doesn't, how is it that there's anything he doesn't know? Is it something like, well, he knows that if he stops or if, if David leaves or somehow God stopped Saul from coming, does he only know like two or three steps, like what Saul would do under that circumstance? But then if I tweaked this, I don't know what he would do that far out three uh, counterfactual steps or something. Is it something like that? How does this work? I think there's two different ways you can take the, the dynamic view. Um, you can say that because um, we are not necessary agents, uh, that we have not eternally uh, been uh, ne necessary to obtain. Um, and as we are free agents, uh, we have uh, sourcehood freedom and, and um, uh, God knows how we may respond in various circumstances. But as we come into existence and we start developing a character, he grounds his knowledge of us and our intentions. He knows us, our, our thoughts perfectly. He knows our heart perfectly. Um, it's kind of like, you know, your wife, if you take her to a, a restaurant, you know what she's going to order before she orders it because you have that intimate knowledge. But yet God's knowledge is even deeper. Um, and so you can okay. say, well, the DO version because it's, it's centered around presentism and, and all perfect knowledge, um, that that can extend, you know, to a, to a realm of potentiality, but God is also determining what he wants to actualize, what he's willing to allow to actualize. Uh, he's, he's granting men freedom and, and redeeming that in the, in the process. Or you can take a strong view that's, that's going to be more like a, uh, neo-Molinism, like, uh, Boyd says, where, you can literally know every potentiality, every possible footstep that this version of you will ever walk. But God also relegates a degree of self-determination to the individual, even though he knows how all of that spiderweb may obtain. And he can come in and kind of prune different branches as he goes along. So there's there's a couple different ways you can take it. The, the main concern I have for it is not coming in and trying to have a... Um, a uh, because I'm I'm a lay person, right? I'm not a. It's not. I don't. I don't. Uh, I don't have any alphabets behind my name. I have plenty of them in it, but um, so so uh, what my main concern is is preserving the the freedom and the divine cognition of God because I think those are central elements that God has revealed in Scripture, and I think that they have repercussions should we deny those. Um, okay, so last question before I turn it back to Pritchett to move this thing forward. I do have a question. So, and it has to do with the um, uh, the way God has the knowledge that He has, I guess. And so it would be something like, it would be something like, okay, are you saying that just is that an analogy? Or are you saying it's actually like that when you say like, I know Pritchett, I've come to know his nature in such a way that I can sort of. I can sort of tell you he I can I can tell you what he will do tomorrow. And and I'm a human, so I'm flawed. But in some respect, I'm going to get some things right because I know what he is. If it's that is it that way with God? He just knows us so well that he can sort of and I don't want to. This is the word gives away my my critique sort of. Mm -hmm. But is it like a prediction? And if so, could God possibly predict wrongly and therefore possibly prophesy wrongly on the basis of such predictions? Or is that is that even a possibility, or is that not possible? Okay, so a couple couple things there to to, to hash up. So the um, the knowledge that God has of us is intimate because it's it's relational, but He has things that we we don't. So He He knows our thoughts, uh, He knows He knows our heart, He knows our intentions. So you 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 know your wife on an intimate basis. You know her habits, her routines, which God also has but we lack knowledge of our thoughts. So, you know, he says, you know, before there's a, I think it was David, he says, before there's a word on my mouth, you know it. It's not because he decreed it or that it was necessary that it obtained, but that he, he knows our minds, he knows our thoughts, and it takes a moment for it to process. And he's, it, so I, I see this as a strong affirmation of presentism, which is, a, a I think, a historical view of, of God and time. But then also you said uh, one other thing there. Um, Prophecy. Prophecy. So most prophecy in scripture is a declaration of what God intends to do. Uh, now it does involve creatures. And usually that's based on his knowledge of their intentions in the moment, their character, the circumstances. So he says like, um, 
to, to Jonah, you know, favorite proof text for, for people of an open position, um, go to Nineveh and tell them in 40 days, it'll be overthrown. And, uh, Jonah reluctantly, uh, after a detour and a nice little sea cruise gets there and he tells them, Hey, in 40 days. And, and yeah, and the, the people, the people repent and God relents. He, he, he changes his mind because he is relational. Did God know that the people would repent? Uh, well, I think he knew their character. I don't think it was inevitable or necessary that they repent, but I think he knew that he knew their character, their intentions. That's why he sent Jonah there. And I think he would also know if the hearts of the people were such so hard that they weren't, he would go and tell them, you know, in, as, a, as an act of judgment. But uh, but that prophecy did not obtain, um, and we wouldn't call God or or Jonah failing there uh, because it it accomplished what God intended. And I think there was an an unstated uh, condition, and I think that's how it is in most prophecy: is there's an unstated condition. We see that in Ezekiel eighteen, Jeremiah eighteen, and it's on our response to God and and what He's He's telling us. Well, and we and and we do that with our own kids, and we don't think of ourselves as lying or as false yeah. prophets when we say something like, uh, "You know, I'm going to send you to your room." Well, clearly, what I mean is, if you don't quit that, I'm going to send you to your room. Right? right? It could be something like that. But but okay, so that's a good response for now. And uh, and you know, that's only one of the things that Pritchett wanted to talk to you about, but. I don't see how that view of God's knowledge makes you a heretic on any definition of heresy. Well, except in, in the historical, like in, in the historical view, in the like the very early church, when they would talk about God's omniscience, they would describe Him as all seeing. Now, the 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 um, and I don't want to be polemical on your show. I'm trying to be very respectful here, Braxton. No, um, this is stupid. Go don't for it. Go, go right ahead. Yeah. Those uh, those uh, 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 heretical uh, Greek. The philosophy worshiping. No, I'm kidding. Uh, but, but those, the you know, the uh, the people that would have more of like a uh, an awe temporal view of God, they would say that when God is all seeing, He sees every uh, still frame on the reel of film, and that's what all seeing means because the future is a settled reality. Uh, when I say all seeing, I'm using the historic presentist ontology of time, meaning God is actively here right now in this moment. He has before and after relations, and he is here, and he is all seeing. He sees everything right now. He has perfect omniscience here. If he has perfect omniscience that is outside of time, then he cannot have, I would argue, uh, perfect uh, knowledge of tense propositions. So he can't say Warren is discussing this with Braxton and, and JP. He would he say, say at one twenty six Central Time yeah. on September 29th, 2023. Uh, yeah. they had this, con they have yeah, it would be this conversation. Yeah, it would be a tense <laughs> list. Exactly. But God, but God in scripture does say, you know, he was, he is, he is to come and he does use. Thanks, Jim uh, Amberd. Appreciate it, man. Does sorry, anyone know which other minor prophet had a prophecy against Nineveh? Do I'm sorry. What do you, does anyone know which other minor prophet? had? Why a do you, why do you expose <laughs> our ignorance? <laughs> in Dude. moments like this. I, you know what? I know, but I'm not going to tell you out of principle. Yeah, I knew too. <laughs> I, don't, I, I don't, I can't recall at the moment. I, I know all about that prophet, but he goes to another school. <laughs> so we have students who ask us all the time, why do I have to do all, why can't I just use the internet? Why do I need to write my own uh, book summaries of the books of the Bible? Yeah. Right? We have, I have students who, oh, this is a stupid assignment. Why do I, why do I need to do this? I'm like, oh, oh, yeah. What this is, you know, and no, there, there's no phones around where the, you know, that actually it's a good like, idea. I think I may do that just out of uh, for my and, own. Benefit. And I'm like, what? What's the book of Nahum about? It's Nahum. It's look. Derek says it's Nahum. He knew. Right. He searched it faster than any of us. Right. <laughs> and and they're like, and they're like, um, uh, well, um, like that's why we have you write those books on. That's why you take that survey class and learn what all the books of the Bible are about. Um, so I just thought I'd throw that out there. But um, heresy, what do you, Warren McGrew, consider to be heresy? I'm paying you three extra dollars this month because of that. Yeah. Go ahead. No, that's well, why so, I'm telling you, Pritchett. So what do I <laughs> Go consider? ahead, Pritchett. Ask your question. Did you ask your question? Yes. Okay, go ahead. So so what do I consider uh, heresy? Well, it, it can be used in two cents. Uh, one sense is it's a club to to smash somebody who disagrees with you. 
uh, somebody who's not on the in group of who you're with. Um, and I think that's the way it's commonly used today. It's like, you make me feel funny. You, you make me question my deeply held beliefs and I don't want to do that. So you're, you're a threat to the, to the in group. But I think true heresy is something that so obfuscates the gospel that one can no longer rightly understand it so as to hear, uh, trust, believe, and, and be saved. So I think true genuine heresy is so divisive and so damaging to the heart of the gospel that it negates uh, or corrupts the message to the point where it loses its um, uh, ability to convey salvific truth. That, that's And that's my clumsy, ham-handed, uh, you know, approach to defining heresy. Jonathan, how would you define heresy? Well, um, I will start with, I like what Warren said about the gospel because Paul says certain types of false gospels are anathema. Okay, mm -hmm. so uh, I would I would start with two categories, the damnable heresy and then just heresy that's contrary to the teaching that, that could cause serious division. Now, for me, um, a damnable heresy, and I stick with the early church on this, would be something contrary to the gospel or something contrary to the nature of God or um Christology. So m most of the early uh, councils where they would get the ecumenical councils, like the first four, were talking about the nature of God and uh, the nature of Christ and having these arguments. And the reason why I think that if you if you define God wrongly or you define Christ wrongly, um, you have a Christ that's different than what the scripture is teaching. Mm. So I know I, I, I know that as ecumenical as I am, I know we have people in this audience that are even further out broader net than me that would push back and say, okay, so you, you would say that like denying the Trinity, which is, you know, uh, like oneness Pentecostals, for example, would be, that would, you would consider that damnable heresy. And I say, yes. And I don't, the word Trinity is not in the Bible, blah, 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 blah. Okay. I, I don't care. Um, I don't think that we are the beginning of wisdom, but I think there was probably more wisdom in the people who understood Paul's New Testament, uh, the Greek New Testament, uh, than we do. And I think that they can, I, I defer to their wisdom that if they think that this is beyond the bounds of, of orthodoxy to where you have a, if you define God differently or you define Christ differently, mm -hmm. then you have a different God and a different Christ. And that's an idol that needs to be killed. And so mm -hmm. I defer to that wisdom. I could be wrong. Well, here's the foil. But for I've me, presented. I don't care if I'm wrong. But here's the I, I could be wrong, but I don't care that if it turns out I get to heaven and a oneness is there. You won't be upset about it. I won't be upset. Of course. But but here's here's the question as I've presented it before is, OK, let's say that um, Zeke and uh, give me another uh, Middle Eastern type uh, middle, middle Mediterranean world type name. Uh, Zeke and uh, Zeke two and Zeke two are are having this. Uh, well, Dionysius, right? Zeke and Dionysius, Dionysius. Are, are having uh, yeah pseudo Dionysius, <laughs> and they're having this uh, conversation. Dionysius, because he has the fl more flowery name, he's coming back from where there was just a council that met and decided uh, or announced that this is now we should view it this way, and if you don't, you're a heretic and all that. And so Dionysius comes back. And he says to Zeke, says, now you have to affirm the, the Trinity. And Zeke says, okay, maybe I've heard people talking about that. Break it down for me. And Zeke is a solid Christian. I mean, he has loved uh, the Lord Jesus, and he has been serving faithfully for all these years, and no one would question. And then someone comes and says, and says Zeke, you have to affirm this now. And it means that God is, uh, uh, that God is uh, one God and three persons. And if you get certain theologians to start describing that, it's going to sound even more strange at certain times. And then Zeke says, wait a minute, I don't believe that. And well, you have to believe that. What just happened to Zeke? Did Zeke just lose his salvation? What, what, uh, what is going on in a case like that? Serious question, because yeah, I like it. I'm wondering, this is where Pritchett and I may differ. If in a case like oneness, a oneness person here, it could be that what we have is a situation where what is what makes this so uh, heretical and evil and wrong in a uh, to hold as a position or about this is 
the disobedience in accepting truth. And so like in such a case, could we be, could we, I'm not suggesting this, why well, I'm suggesting it. Could it be the case that if you have a oneness guy who has taught this and kind of has seen the holes in his arguments and sees, you know, kind of the truth has kind of been revealed to him about this and, and, but he continues to preach uh, a Unitarian type position because that's going to be easier on him in terms of life and his church and all of that. But the little old lady out in the pews who's tried to understand her Bible and use the tools she's got to understand the things of yeah, God. I'll make a distinction and she doesn't, between the ignorant person of the Trinity and the... I shouldn't say little old lady. Is that what you're objecting yeah, to? I'm the sorry, little old The ignorant person of the Trinity, like uh, those people sit in Southern Baptist She's Sunday passively school. a Unitarian. She's not, right. you know... The, I feel like we have what's wrong is Southern Baptist because if you ask them to explain the Trinity, they'll give you heresy, right, right. <laughs> they'll give you modalism or something. Right. So no, I make a distinction between people who willfully denounce the Trinity and the people who just don't know better. Whether they're in a oneness church and they're just doing the best to be a Christian, or I'm, I'll yeah, go with I Michael like, Heiser on that. So I like I like this discussion a lot because I'm I'm a Trinitarian, you know, and um, but I've heard some Good. really bad I've heard some really bad arguments for the Trinity. And I try to be, I try to be honest with myself and my own arguments. And, um, and, and so, you know, we have, we have writings from at least one early church father who said the majority of the laity were to his regret, you know, modalists. And I go, well, do I want to condemn these guys just simply because they didn't understand and affirm a doctrine, even though they were, you know, loving following and uh, considered by this early church father to be Christian? Or, or it gets even worse, you know, like when you say, well, I affirm the Trinity and you have to affirm it too, or you're not a Christian, you're not saved. You go, well, which Trinity are we talking? You know, I mean, there was a, a big event that happened in 1100 AD. Are we going monarchy, Trinity of the Father, strong Nicene? Are we going more of a Western model? You know, like th does the way we diagram the Trinity kick us out of the kingdom? Or is it just an affirmation that God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, it, like how strong do well, we want to be? For me, it, it, for me, standard? it's the one being God, the three persons of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit being that one being. Yeah, uh, I, I, I don't like the one. I don't like modalism. To me, that's heresy, it, and I would consider that a damnable heresy because I make a distinction between a heresy that can damn you because you have the wrong God or the wrong Christ. Mm -hmm. I mean, well, certainly, if you don't, if you don't wait, have a divine point, though. right? But if you don't have a Oops. divine Jesus, for example. Like if you just have a purely human Jesus, right. uh, that's a damnable here. Right, your of course. Well, but, right. but see, I, I was actually trying to tell you to say it again because I want to underscore what you say. Even when I'm trying to tell you, I like what you're saying. Um, I'm trying to tell you that what what's going on here is people need to recognize that if someone calls you a heresy, number one, they might not mean what you think they mean by that. They could just mean you you have a false doctrine, but not a damnable false doctrine. Right. But secondly. Uh, that's an important distinction to make, the distinction itself between heresy and damnable heresy. Well, when I get called but, a heretic, I was I, I had a damnable heresy for not being a Calvinist, according because like in our debate in Houston, uh, they said, I didn't mean to call y'all brothers. Y'all aren't brothers. Y'all are, you know, we're, we're cast to the flames, right. I guess. Uh, but, but I would say like a non-damnable heresy would be uh, something that I think is contrary to a teaching of, of scripture. Okay. Like, before you say yeah. that, because this question by Jim, who always blesses us, he's the channel angel. Yes, we thank you for him. the super chat. Earlier. He raises this, uh, which I think plays into what you're about. I know it plays into what you're about to say. He says, question, what about someone who holds a view clearly contrary to God's will, but defines God correctly, like a pro-abortion pastor, someone who isn't just ignorant of the issue. Okay. Let, let's take it. Let's take it further. Let's say um, without getting demonetized on YouTube, uh, a very popular thing that's happening in our country right now that has to do with the nature of men and women. Okay, let's say someone uh, preached... Sparkle the, Creed people. Sparkle Creed people. <laughs> let's say someone believed like the Scar Sparkle Creed people yeah, and, heretics. and that sort of thing, but did get all their systematic theology correct. Well, they didn't if they believed that. Well, so. you know what I mean? Like they, they, They're getting their... Okay, not their systematic theology, their theology proper. Their yeah. theology of God is correct. And their Christology is correct. Right. Their okay. Christology, but even how they define the nature of God, uh, like uh, of, of the Father and, and the Spirit and all that. That's a tough one for me. I'm gonna, I, I, I don't know ecumenical council ruled on those things, but I think it's heresy that is clearly contrary to Scripture. But what I want to say is, is people who are willing to compromise on those are typically going to compromise on inevitably things. apostatize or, or leave. But even if they don't, I'm going to leave that up to God. I'm going to reserve judgment because... 
a Could higher authority good? than me has not ruled on it. Yeah. Uh, but scripture is a higher authority than me, and it seems to suggest that you can't be affirming those kinds of things. And so I would say that a person is a heretic. I, I wouldn't say that they were damnable heresy to say that you're a pro-choice pastor. I'm not going to... You're not saying, saying that. I'm not saying that person is consigned to the flames. Right. I'm just saying that that is a heresy and that they need to repent of it. And it wouldn't surprise me if it turned out that that person really never had true faith. Warren? Yeah. So I think, I think what, I think what we may unintentionally be doing is um, maybe uh, conflating a, uh, a false teaching with um, necessarily uh, determining whether or not they're saved. And, and one of the things I'm, I'm, I'm the most divisive and ecumenical simultaneous, like person you ever <laughs> going to meet. Like, right. I'm an inclusivist who picks on Calvinists. Right. So, um, I, I don't think that when we come to faith, we have perfect doctrine. And I don't think that, um, that, that in and of itself, uh, is necessary for salvation. I, I think we can have a lot of error and, and we are trusting in Christ, we're being discipled, we're growing, we're maturing. So what I don't want to do is put my middle-aged rear in on the throne of God and start going, you're in, you're out, you're in, you're out. But when it comes to doctrine, so I don't want to call someone an, uh, uh, you know, an unsaved heretic, but I, what I do want to do is identify what they're teaching as right or wrong or extremely uh, damaging or, or dangerous. And, uh, and so you know, I don't know the heart condition of somebody affirming the Sparkle Creed. Were they just recently saved? Uh, is this a process that they were just involved in? Like, I, I don't want to go in and, and start uh, kicking people out of the kingdom because I don't think that's my job. But what I do think my job is, is to say that Sparkle Creed is trash. I think it's okay for me to say I disagree with modalism because you don't have uh, a Christ uh, consistently interceding for us. You have uh, you know, these, these shifts between, between the divine persons. Um, you know, I don't, I don't think closed theism is a damnable heresy, but I think it gets it wrong. So, you know, I, I I'm, maybe I'm too ecumenical. Maybe, maybe I'm the nicest heretic you've ever met. I don't well, know. Well, here's maybe. the, here's the problem I, I think with saying, well, there's just no, nobody we can pronounce is outside the faith. I mean, like I said, I could get to heaven and find out I'm wrong, but the problem with that is there. Paul seems to think that, like, take sexual immorality, for example, that if people are, are so grievous in it that you are to just discipline, excommunication, all of that, um, treat them as if they're an unbeliever, hand them over to say all kinds of things, right? And the problem with the problem with this is you run the risk of being unloving and unkind if you don't preach to them what you know to be biblical truth, and if they have the wrong Jesus. You know, if they have the wrong theology proper, then they're pointing to a wrong God. I mean, as far as, I mean, talk about idol killer. I mean, you know, sure. there's idols there to be killed because you could be worshiping an idol rather than the God that the consensus of the church for 2,000 years has believed. This is the nature of God. This is the God that we believe we are, uh, the, is the creator God of the cosmos who sent Jesus Christ, the second person of the Trinity, to die and redeem humanity and rose from the dead. That's, that's what the global church is. And if we start saying you can mess with some of those kind of things, then what we run a risk of, we're going to, if I'm right, and I just take a hands-off approach and not warn them that their salvation is in jeopardy or that they may not have salvation, then I'm letting them be damned. Mm. That's what I'm saying. I'm happy to be, uh, I'm happy to be wrong. Like I said, and I want to make a distinction between the people who I, I believe are willful, teachers against the historic doctrine of god and the, yeah I, I would i would agree with that distinction i and, would and I, I so you're intentionally so, yeah. if you're intentionally misleading if you're in, if you're intentionally rebellious to the truth and rejecting it christ is the truth any yeah. christ follower needs to be committed to truth yeah so chris date is writing a book again uh, a debate book that he had a debate with a with a unitarian that unitarian understands all of the orthodox beliefs and uh, and has his own arguments and whatever to me that guy i would not consider him a christian and so i think that 
he that would be damnable heresy. Whereas if there's some little old lady, whether in his church or some other or Southern Baptist church for that matter, that just doesn't understand all of this stuff and doesn't mm-hmm. really get into it. That no, that person, yeah, that's not what I'm worried. That's not who I'm worried about. <clears throat> I'm worried about like the people who know what orthodoxy is and flat out reject it and teach others to reject it as well. When it comes, yeah, to I think it. anytime you have a willful rejection of truth. Yeah there's a question over whether or not you're committed to the one who is truth. So I, I would agree with that distinction. So if we just me, become so ecumenical that we, we hands off, then we could be giving a false comfort to this person that they're not. I, I agree. It, it's, it's why I, it's why I focus on my, my Calvinist brothers and sisters, because I think it is not itself a litmus test to determine whether or not one is saved. But I do think depending on how one takes that, that it can lead to shipwrecking their faith or causing some, some serious issues. So I often push back on those doctrines for that reason, but it, you know, it's, it's not an isolated event that can happen across. Cause see where I don't want to sit on judgment. The judgment seat is for like, I don't want to tell a pro choice person that has correct theology, uh, on Christology, theology proper, all that. I don't want to, I don't want to say that they're going to burn in hell because they're pro choice. Hey, real real quick. What I do want to say is, yeah, hang on just a second. What I do want to say is, you are you are so far into grievous error with just this that I'm going to hold your profession of faith about all the things that you're orthodox about. When when you're jumping up and down about the abortion issue, we need to be more pro-choice in the church and all this. I think that your profet your chivalrous about orthodoxy are just cover for this other thing that you want to do. Because I'm going to same with the uh, affirming church, the sparkle creed affirming churches i'm gonna say i doubt that your orthodoxy is genuine anyway that's just so that's just you're using that as a shield to protect you so that you can jump up and down about this clearly unbiblical teaching so there i'm a little bit uh, uh i'm gonna just uh, i'm not saying that you ha- affirm a damnable heresy but i am saying that you're a, you are a heretic uh on biblical teaching and that i'm going to treat you as if you are an unbeliever in an object, even no matter what your orthodoxy is. Point point of order: the "you are a heretic" wasn't directed at your guest today. It was directed at the hypothetical adherent of the Sparkle Creed. Because remember, I'm on the thumbnail. So. <laughs> oh yeah. So yeah. So yeah. Just, so far, you've not said anything that we consider heretical. Yeah. I don't I know think that some of my friends online can take a clip and they're, they're going to post yeah. this. And say, I don't think that Warren is a heretic. If anyone posts that Warren McGrew is a heretic on the basis of what Braxton and Jonathan said about him in this episode, then they are being disingenuous and dishonest. Yeah, I don't think that Thank anything you. Warren believes is heretical. Um, okay. Though okay, I now, do now, think now, that but, he but gets that's called good. a heretic. I understand why. I do to... think that he gets called a heretic a lot. Well, that's yeah, yeah. that's demonstrable. But yeah. let me let me let me ask this question for Angel okay. WVM. Okay. Does God being a Trinity couldn't He exist both within and outside of uh, time at the same time, so to speak? Well, so uh, Angel, the the guest today has a little bit of a different take on this than I do. Um, and that's okay. I think, I don't think either one of these are, are, are dangerous positions in the way that we've been talking about. But, um, so on, on, on both of our views, God is the creator of the physical universe. And I don't know how Warren would chalk this up specifically, but I think it's important from my perspective to point out that if God is the creator of the physical universe, he's not the physical universe. Um, and he, he exists sans the physical universe. And when he creates, uh, then he is aware and active everywhere in the physical universe. And uh, he does come into being in or come. I'm sorry, Jesus physical body. He becomes the incarnate. He becomes the incarnate. Jesus is the incarnate God in flesh in the physical universe. And, uh, and, and I think that is a beautiful picture of it, but this also runs into the, the question that honestly atheist asks uh, that's a similar one that says, did God become a trinity at a point in human time? No. If no, was pre-Christ salvation still dependent on recognizing the trinity? And if not, why is it heresy today well, and not then? Well, that's because of the revelation that had yeah. not yet come about the Trinitarian, specifically about the Trinitarian nature of God. Now, we can obviously, we think, in systematic theology, we can look at stuff in the Old Testament that we do think gives some indication that God is a Trinity or seems only to be able, you can only make sense of certain things on our view. Uh, Even in the Old Testament. In the Old Testament too, if God is not a Trinity, but all that said, the the revelation about this would be the thing I would say. I mean, I covenant say. faithfulness was 
the key in the Old Testament salvation. Uh, like I said, it's it's. It, I would say that you know, if I could just real quickly, I yeah. agree with everything Braxton said except the theory of time. That's the thing I was going to say is different yeah. about us. So the only difference on what we just described would be I have God uh, existing timelessly. Um, and uh, which is not a state where there's a lot of time. It's a state where there is no time. Uh, and Warren McGrew is presenting yeah. perhaps a view where maybe God has his own timeline or his timeline is our timeline or something like that. Uh, yeah, Derek, so, uh, God, thank you for your super chat. Uh, I don't know if your question got answered, but I don't think that it's wrong to pray for judgment to fall on people who are reading that ridiculous creed in church. No, it's not wrong to pray for judgment. <laughs> well, but it is people, interesting. What prompts you to like, is it just people's disposition? Because like, I don't, I, if God judges them, that's God's business. And I trust that he's doing the wise thing, but I'm certainly not hoping. God's people for, have prayed for judgment. I know they have, okay. I know, but I'm just saying like, what, why is it that I, for example, have absolutely no desire to pray for swift judgment on the lady that led the sparkle creed? You're a wimp. <laughs> I'm kidding. You have a better heart than uh, maybe Derek and I do. <laughs> You're not a wimp. You're just a better person. Than okay, David sorry. You wanted to make other... some other caveat about how I answered that, uh, Warren. Oh, no, I would I would say, yeah, I believe that God is uh, sequential, that he operates sequentially, because even if we say God created time, that supposes a before and after a sequence. So God would have, in order for God to create time, it presupposes time. But generally what happens is, is when we're talking about that, we're, we're conflating time in general and sequence with creation. And each creation and divine time, they can be, they can be different. But I, I do believe that God is sequential. So like I don't affirm um, uh, some of the, 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 the classical attributes of like hard immutability or hard impassibility. And I think there's actually a, a history in the, the church for that. Um, you know, but, um, but yeah, I mean, I, that's, this episode isn't about, you know. Well, and that too kind of goes into, or at least it, it, it affects yeah. our differing views on the nature of but time. But we do because, have 10 minutes left, so we want to get to some questions before we go. Okay. Well, you won't hear what I was going to say. No, say what you're going to say and then get to your <laughs> questions. But we have a lot of questions. We have. I was just going to say the nature of time matters there because on our view, uh, I was just, you know, it's often surprising to people to hear that on the view of people like me. And it may sound surprising to Warren, even though he's very aware of the view, um, by which I mean strange to him. But the the notion is that God, uh, in order to think thoughts, people will say, well, God can't be thinking anything, uh, sans the physical universe, because that takes a series of moments to move from one thought to the next. And I can grant that in my, my perspective, without getting into the logical ordering and things, I'm just happy to say, God, if God has the sort of omniscience I'm thinking of, he doesn't have to think through a series of thoughts to arrive at some new conclusion because that is a process of learning where one thinks through a series of options or thoughts to arrive at a conclusion that they weren't they didn't know they were going to arrive at before. I don't have a problem just saying God exists from our perspective statically, saying as the physical universe. And then uh, and and then, you know, the Craig way of handling this, say, from the moment that he acts, then time exists for not only the physical universe and creation, but him as well, because he's, of course, aware of what time it is in the physical universe at any particular time. And this comes to the question, to get on to the questions. Uh, Slam RN says to me, specifically, does God exist in the future? I think that God exists in the future. If what we mean by that is when we get to the future, will God be there? Yes. But if we mean is this kind of hints at what is called a B theory of time, where the future and the past are real um, and the present is real. Uh, you can't say at the same time, but in some sense, they're all real simultaneously because uh, the B theory of time says basically you have this time block and the future and the past and the present are all there. Well, the A theory says, no, the past used to be real, but it's not anymore. And the future will be real, but it's not real yet. What's real is each current moment that we're inhabiting. And so uh, does God exist in the future? Depending on how you answer that, if you have a B theory, well, then yes, he he exists in the future in every in, in both ways we could mean that but on our view uh the future doesn't exist yet but when we get there god is still going to exist because yeah. he's from everlasting to everlasting and there's a lot of there's a lot of overlap and agreement be between us and we both would argue that god is a maximally great being it's just what what are we arguing is the the, the maximally great being um what attributes are we thinking 
are more uh, important than others. There may be some difference on that or our theory of time. Um, but I think generally, like when you're sitting there talking, I go, I agree with like 98% of what you just said, you know, despite. Yeah, that's going to happen, I guess. That makes yeah. that's and I'm glad for that. I'm glad for that. Well, I was really um, hoping to get into a fight with you. And yeah, it might be more interesting and... if we argued more. Braxton, uh, uh, oh, honestly, Atheist is answering that question of why I don't want to pray judgment on the sparkle lady, I think. And he says, Braxton is stronger in the Lord. That is the difference. Maybe maybe <laughs> that's it. I don't know. But then I might be condemning some scriptural passages. Uh, Trinity Radio, does Warren affirm sola fide, and does he think God is corporeal? Oh, man. Uh, I don't think we have enough time to unpack what they mean by sola fide. The, the siren is... a. Uh, is a, is a Calvinist. Um, I, I affirm uh, that uh, faith alone, as it's commonly understood, is is sufficient. Yes. Um, okay. But I, I don't believe I don't believe uh, in in pre faith regeneration where God imbues us with this divine gnosis so that we can. I don't I don't I don't affirm some of the entailments that are often associated with that through the reform paradigm. Why would he ask a question if you think God is corporeal? Does God have um, a body? Yeah. No, I mean, God is a spirit and no one has seen him except the, through the son. Um, I do believe that God, the son, is now and forever corporeal. And I think that speaks to my theory of time and dynamic omniscience, by the way, Braxton, jab, jab. But, um, but I do believe that God, as the son, is corporeal. I think he's going to have scarred hands and feet. Uh, I think he's going to be... Uh, able to to hug and high five, and I think it's going to be great spending eternity with him. But this, the Father, the Spirit, um, no. Okay, I don't think I've missed any super chats. Uh, if you want to send those super chats, feel free to. We're going to take questions here for just a little bit. We don't have a whole lot of time left. Um, let's do. Uh, Derek says, "Is dynamic omniscience similar to the fifth dimensional alien in Men in Black 3? I never made it to Men in Black 3, although I, I know there's some incredible uh, thing for Molinism supposedly there, but uh, maybe that's what he's referring to. So do you know what he's talking about, Warren? And can you give us I a brief no, sketch? I have no idea. Uh, dynamic omniscience. Um, I have an interview with Ryan Mullins on my channel that he's he's far more knowledgeable. Uh, he's actually reputable. I'm not. He's like uh, a modified he, classical theist, isn't he? Or is he yeah, not a classical neo, Yeah, neoclassical. Um, smart dude. And uh, we go over dynamic omniscience in detail there. That would be the video I'd recommend if anybody's interested in the nuances of that position. Yeah, I'll definitely check that out. All right. Um, so Slam RN, the bouncer for all the apologetics channels, said, <laughs> Yeah, she's everywhere, that, man. I love Slam. Yeah, some things God knows because he'll make sure they happen somehow. Would you agree with that? Yeah. Yeah, well, yeah, and you would I have to deny, agree that if God plans to do anything. Oh, I'm sorry? I would think you would have to agree with that if God plans to do anything at all yeah. and well, then does open, it. Open theists like Chris Fisher would say the reason why God makes prophecies is because he says he's going to do something and then it's his omnipotence that he uses to, to make to sure that it, it does happen. You know, sure he just kind of strong arms the creation to make, to yeah. have, you know. That's, now, I would that's agree I would agree that most of God's claims about the future are are power claims. But yeah, but yeah God, uh, God knows something because he'll make sure it happens. And he also knows this is where the dynamic thing comes in. Cause it's not just one type of knowledge, but he also knows what we're going to do because he's all seeing and he's grounding his knowledge of us and our present intentions and character. Okay. The siren is back with another question. And this comes on the heels of our discussion of say a Unitarian who passively was just trying to serve the Lord versus maybe their pastor who figured this out and just kept preaching it. Although I'm not saying that's true of all their pastors, of course, uh, but that, if we can grant the possibility okay. there, I think that's what's going on here. Theoretically, the why can't someone be a Jehovah's okay, witness here's the thing. and be saved? Theoretically, it's possible that there is some just very literally theologically inclined person in a Jehovah's witness kingdom house looking building somewhere that sure. Um, but here's the thing. You mean they happen to be a real Christian? Yeah, they're they at a kingdom hall, chilling there. out. And Maybe just, they didn't know about. Don't the know Jehovah's anything. Yeah. Is it possible? Sure. Well, that's here, that's not. But what here's the problem with Jehovah's <laughs> Witnesses and Mormons alike. Yeah. From a very early age, someone brought up that they are taught to be evangelistic, which means they are taught their doctrine and they are taught the apologetics and polemics against Orthodox Christians that they will knock on their doors. Mm -hmm. Right. So they know what orthodoxy is, and they have willfully rejected it. So I would say 
one of the reasons is at least in a oneness it's it's like an evangelical church where they don't know a whole lot of theology in general you can't say that about jehovah's witnesses or mormons because they are theologically trained and better but than they most. are trained like to believe these things as though the only people but they're you trained trust to believe that what you believe is wrong and how to respond to it that's yeah. what i'm saying they are taught willfully how to reject orthodox yeah. christianity and that's why it's different than like a oneness pentecostal church where they're like every other evangelical church where 99 percent of the people in there don't know anything about anything so but you can't say that about jehovah's witnesses and mormons because they are taught especially if they grew up in that they are taught what they believe versus what orthodox christianity believes and how to try to argue with orthodox christians when they knock on your door which is why i say is it theoretically possible yeah sure is it common i'm going to say no Warren, you have anything to add on this? Yeah, I'm in, I'm in agreement with, with JP, and I, I appreciate his nuance because it allows room for God to be the ultimate determiner of the content of one's heart and faith and take into account you know the measure of light and revelation they've been given. But it's also kind of grounded in reality and practicality that they, you know, they're, they're rejecting the, the God of Scripture generally. Yeah. Um, and on the issue of the oneness, the whole thing we've been discussing here, I, I can't, I'm not, I'm not saying that that's not um, heretical in the way that that is most important. That's yeah. not damnable heresy or something. I'm just suggesting the possibility for our discussion. Okay, uh, Perseverant wants to know, what's the right response to heresy? Church discipline? Yes. Excommunication? Yes. Disfellowshipping? Yes, depending on the nature of the case and the willingness to repent and uh, be corrected. Um uh, you're, you're, uh, the, so the heresy, let's say, is that you're teaching that Jesus did not have a physical body; that he only <laughs> appeared to have a physical Ooh. body. Are you being? Are you? Uh, so we would say church dis. Well, church discipline, yes. excommunication, and disfellowshipping. I think of church dis. Well, church discipline includes non-believers. You start there. Yeah. If they don't repent, yeah, excommunication, and if they still don't repent, disfellowship altogether, socially and everything else. Absolutely, because part of the reason why. Paul, in an in honor-shame culture in the first century, part of putting someone on the outs, going Old Testament or New Testament, part of putting someone on the outs mm. is it's, it brings shame upon them and it disconnects them from their own in-group. And it, they can either defect to another in-group or they can come back if they repent or whatever, which is a teaching mechanism that keeps everyone else in the in-group on the right track. So this idea of discipline is necessary for everyone still in the church and it's good for them for them to come to a place of repentance or they will leave and disfellowship from you altogether anyway so yeah it's yeah. important I mean, to where, do that where I, you do them a disservice when you don't do that to them and where i, where I attend I, I talk to my pastors and i talk to the leadership there and i said hey lay my controversial cards on the table these are my views and they're like oh that's cool do you divide over it? Do you make that salvific? And I was like, no. And they're like, well, if you're going to teach here, we need you to teach all these different perspectives. And then you can say why you affirm this one versus that one. But you really need to present kind of a salad bar view. So that people and I was like, yeah, that, that's fine. I, I'm too busy to teach right now anyway. So but but, you know, I think when you're going to an assembly, if you have a view you believe to be possibly controversial that the church may see as potentially heretical, which is usually just, I like my tradition more than yours. You want to at least be honest and upfront with the the leadership there and say, Hey, I don't want to be divisive. I don't want to be, you know, classical heretical and, and divisive. I want you to know where, what I believe and why, and let's walk through this. Cause I would rather be upfront and, you know, you know, you may disagree with me here. Let's talk through it. I answer your questions. If you still don't feel good about me attending, I'll leave. Um, I think that's respectful. And I think that's the way to handle it. Or if you've been a longtime uh, member, and you've been studying on your own and you all of a sudden, you know, you got this belief that is no longer compatible with uh, the main line your church is holding. You need to go talk to your leadership and say, hey, I'm having some different disagreements here. Let's walk through this. And and it may be a case of iron sharpening iron where they need to set you straight or you can possibly set them straight. Or it may be that you're in error and need to leave or they're in error and you need to leave. Yeah, so honestly, Atheist asks, would it be possible for a Christian to hold to B-theory and libertarian free will, or does B-theory entail some form of divine determinism or Calvinism within Christian theology? I don't think so. I think one can hold to B-theory and still believe in libertarian freedom 
Does anyone want to speak against that I don't, challenge? I, don't I, I agree with you. You don't think I, you can because it's all I'm fixed. The, I'm the odd man out because in order for the future to exist, it has to be created. And so if God has created what I'm doing tomorrow, then I am not, I, I would argue I have not chosen, but it's God's creative act that's determined what I'm doing tomorrow. But the bigger yeah, problem with what, the B theory, in my opinion, is that Christ is eternally uh, dead. Christ is eternally suffering on the cross. So the Christ problem with B, one of the typical criticisms of B theory is there are a couple, but one of them is that you become a time worm in such. And mm -hmm. what we mean by that is like I began to exist in 1980, in December of 1980. So if the past is real in the and like the present is real, then I there, there, there is a first of all, I become a, either a singular time worm uh, like there's a train of me's stretching back without disconnection to 1980. And we, and the, the me that exists back to 1980 is one entity. So I am both saved and unsaved at the same time for Jesus. He's still on the cross and all these kind of things. Uh, there's another, the, the other possibility is, okay, maybe it's not a time worm, but then you end up with each se separate moment has a real Braxton Hunter and you have an actually infinite number of real Braxton hunters, some of which are saved and uh, most of which are lost. And this becomes kind of strange on the Christian position. Strange, but not, well, you, I mean, because contradiction, uh, A and not A at the same time, in the same sense. And not in the same sense. And, right. and you could, you could have a Christian. Alive in one sense and dead in another sense at one point and not at the other point, mm -hmm. even if it's all, you know, simultaneous. They're not the in, same in the point, B theory, the same sense. In the B theory, you can have a Christian who is saved, but perishes in a house fire. So they are, in a real sense, an eternal fiery torment as a faithful follower of Christ. So, so you have you have a, a follower of Christ who is essentially in, undergoing eternal conscious torment. Um, you know, there's 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 some there's some fun. I, I, I say fun. Eternal conscious torment is not fun, but the arguments. No, the, I give it say fun. Fun the theological fun discussions. thought experiments. Yeah. Uh, Perseverant. Today we're talking about how to define heresy. Listen, this is the Q and A portion of the event, and even if we took do you know I was like a preacher in churches and still do that occasionally, but did that weekly for years. And I love, you know, one of the things I would comment is, is listen, I'm about to I, I, I'm about to be done. Just give me a few more moments because and I try not to chase rabbit trails, although it happened. I built this show partly so I could chase rabbit trails. No one could tell me not to. So that's where we are. Well, um, but unfortunately there's a time limit there on is those. a time limit so what was the last thing <laughs> we were supposed trail. to ask and then be done oh uh, no well uh, oh i know i wanted to highlight i wanted to say we have yeah. a real example of something that i take to be probably rare derek says i was disfellowshipped once and it led to repentance and eventual wow. uh it led to repentance this is eventually. why i like derek's a, a real man it's like the church did what it said it was what all churches should do but don't it did it and it worked haha -ha. yeah and stratton shows up right here at the end warren to say there's a difference between heresy and heterodoxy i think that's an important distinction that's anyone want to speak to that and it'll be the last thing we say because it's tim stratton yeah yeah no i'm i'm, I'm gonna remain silent rather than open my mouth and remove all doubt <laughs> right on i agree with tim but heterodoxy is a what is it like you're in less trouble because you're, you're right it's like it's one of the but see what i classify in those ideas are more are more practical theology than systematic theology mm -hmm. i mean i know like heterodoxy would be like like carl bart's understanding of election mm -hmm. or of, of uh, the doctrine of scripture you know mm -hmm. it becomes god's word you know all of that as opposed to its ontological nature i mean those things are considered heterodox I don't like to use the word for those kind of doctrinal things. I like to use it for more practical theology things because I'm so ecumenical. I don't really think that like the doctrine of scripture, what are you sola scripture or prima scripture? I don't even consider what's different than the usual to be heterodox. I don't like using it for doctrinal things. I like using it more for practical theological things. Not everything has to be systematic theology. We need more practical theology. Uh, work done on Christian YouTube because we always talk about doctrines and apologetics and stuff. So someone out there start a practical theology channel. We need that. Well, and, and, and real quick, what, I saw Slam. I saw Slam say something in the comment how she thought maybe I'd become a universalist and I'm, I'm not. Yeah, I'm an speak to that. Yeah, I'm an inclusivist, not a not a universalist. I, I don't affirm limited atonement, so I believe in a universal provision, but not universal salvation. <clears throat> so, um, 
Yeah, I mean, I, I think, you hold a view similar to what the Bible bro down guys hold. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. And we we're, we've talked about this, and and um, I think we're we're in most most agreement, if not full. All right, Warren, where can people find you? Oh, um, uh, wait, oh, uh, not, I was thinking like I put a link to the channel I, I in like, the I'm description. Not that information, huh? You can find me on YouTube <laughs> at uh, idolkiller.com. You can uh, find me on Twitter under idolkiller. Uh, but again, it's I-D-O-L. My detractors will spell it I-D-L-E. You're not going to find me there. But it's Idol Killer on YouTube. And uh, I do fun uh, AI videos. I do uh, biting commentary. I do debates. I do uh, all sorts Endless of Endless hours of response to Mike Winger. Yeah, well, oh, man, that was that was fun. That was fun. I like I love Mike, but, I, you know, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a bit of a... Of a a guy who just doesn't care if I if I disagree with you, I'll I'll do so in love and and uh, hope that it's received that way. But but yeah, I I, I go after Calvinists, I go after Mike. Um, you know, I, I love Mike, but I, I disagree with him on on some of the claims he made. Notice he didn't say I love Calvinists. Well, Jamie love Russell Calvinists. loves Calvinists. <laughs> Jamie Russell loves his mother. So, folks, go. this has been great. We thank you for coming. The channel for Idol Killer is linked in the description. Let's be careful who we call heretics, and let's uh, try to think more deeply about theology. Folks, this has been awesome. Warren, we thank you for being here, and we'll see you next time on Trinity Radio. Trinity Radio.